Welcome to Visionaries. I'm your host, Jacob Wolf, an award-winning investigative journalist and the CEO and founder of Overcome. On today's episode, we're interviewing Aiden and Slime, two of the people that work at Mogul Moves, the company co-founded by Ludwig that manages all of his brand deals and all of his events. Slime is Ludwig's personal manager. Aiden is Ludwig's events manager and puts together all of his events. And the reason we had them on is that over the past 10 days, there has been a lot of, I don't like using the word drama, but drama in the Super Smash Brothers community. You'll hear me catch them up a little bit at the beginning when I intro this because it was a live discussion. But to give you really the long and short of it is that there were two circuits in the Super Smash Brothers community. And one of them had a license from Nintendo, the people who create Super Smash Brothers to operate. And the other did not. It came out last week that the one that did not have a license was shutting down after they received notice the day before Thanksgiving that they did not and were not going to be getting a license. In that statement where they said they were shutting down, there was also allegations that the other circuit and the person who ran it, a man by the name of Dr. Alan Bunny, the CEO of Panda Global, had been being anti-competitive, making threats to other tournament organizers, and essentially trying to shut down the Smash World Tour by taking events away from it and bringing them into his event. The past week has been a whirlwind. A lot of players have left Panda Global as well as employees and staff. Alan himself has stepped down as the CEO. And now we have gone from two circuit endings to zero circuit endings in the Super Smash Brothers community. And it brings up a lot of historic, as you'll hear Aiden in particular talk about, historic tension between the Super Smash Brothers esports community and Nintendo, the developer of the game. Tensions that have been existing for now for nine years since 2013. There's a lot of emotion around this situation. A lot of people are acting emotionally and things have gotten out of hand such as people attempting to dox, meaning expose personal information, of employees that work at Panda. And this is a disclaimer. There is someone that works for us here at Overcome that also does work with Panda, and she is not involved in any of the situation, but we do wish her well. So this entire situation is kind of a mess, and we wanted to have Aiden and Slime to come on to explain all of it. Aiden has known Prem for a long time, who's here with me again, and I've known Slime for a little bit as well. So, Prame, after listening to this discussion, which was extremely long yesterday, what do you think of it? I mean, wait, when we recorded No One Gives a Fuck About Smash, had the panda stuff already happened? Yes. Yes. Yeah, yeah we, we covered it a little bit. It's been a bit of a, a whirlwind these last few, like, week and a half now. And Aiden is someone who, he's kind of like a, a, a tournament organizing wunderkind. He's really good at very quickly making large-scale successful events that are are pretty highly praised both by competitors and by spectators both live and online. He is also someone who has been interfacing with Nintendo in the past. For him and so many of the people he worked with when he was at Beyond the Summit to confirm what Alan had done in terms of, of this very loaded kind of mob style strong arm language like it'd be a shame if your tournament wasn't licensed and uh nintendo came to shut it down it's really rough man my first big kind of opportunity to to have aiden speak was at a, a panel in in right before the pandemic uh, in the panel someone had asked what do you guys think about grassroots 
and if if you know the Smash community, you know it's very grassroots. It's very uh, driven by these smaller communities who come together at multiple times during the year to run these huge events. No one's making a lot of money. No one's really coming out of it thinking like, okay, I'm set for the year. That was like hugely successful. Everyone's putting out fires. So someone asked, what do you think about grassroots? And Aiden just kind of leaned into the mic and he just said, fuck grassroots. Like at some point we do have to scale up and get bigger sponsors. But in Smash, this feels like a turning point where now it feels like maybe the Smash community is stuck being grassroots, at least for the foreseeable future. Where Nintendo and and someone that we had in the community for many years and, and held them up with pretty high regard as as really being a shepherd for the best interests of both Smash and the fighting game community at large, like we feel betrayed by Panda. Mm. Yeah, and I think that's part of the important sentiment for people who maybe aren't as familiar with this scene is that Panda Global historically has been sort of a very beloved organization in Smash. Now, there are some people that don't like their players, etc. But most of all, this is a company that in a scene that constantly has teams start up and then fall apart because they can't make it work financially. This is one of the ones that over the past seven-ish years has really made it work altogether. So them getting the circuit at the beginning of the year, getting the license from Nintendo in April was a huge deal, a very significant deal. And a lot of people were really happy about that. Actually, I can't remember if it's Slime or Aiden in this interview, but I think it's Slime. It's making an analogy, basically, that, you know, Smash Brothers fans were like, you know, their dad, their dad walked out on them. Nintendo didn't care. Right. Like. And then they wanted their dad to come home. That was the moment of like wanting that validation and recognition. And now to the point of like, fuck it, my dad's never coming home, right? Because, like, they did, reconnected, they licensed this other circuit, but then they, like, you know, the nuance is really important here, and I encourage people to go listen to the full episode here because we try our best to explain it. They didn't exactly cancel the event. They basically, in a way, dared the Smash World Tour to run the event and said, you don't have a license. The time to run without one is over, so you can either do it or you can't. And... The Smash World Tour is like a bunch of like, again, grassroots kind of by the bottom of the bootstraps kind of guys like they don't have the money to fight a legal battle with a multi-billion dollar video game corporation. That's just not how this works. So they just shut down because, you know, if they ended up with a legal issue with Nintendo after this event, that that basically bankrupts all of them. So that's where we're at. And I I think that Slime's analogy on that was actually really good. I just I think that as a community, we were interested i i don't want to say that the smash community as a whole was excited that panda had done something with nintendo because a few things were true at no point did we have any indication that nintendo was putting any value into the smash community through panda or otherwise there was no indication at any point that because of of nintendo the panda events were going to have more more prizes more amenities you know whatever and then as it kind of came out more and more and we realized what was associated with panda we realized that it actually had a lot of negative implications it was new events that were untested which led to events that they said were their gold standard having a couple hundred entries where on the other end smash world tour was having thousands and so it i don't know man there is a there's a world in which nintendo comes and and is supportive of gaming and esports outright but 
and this is something that we've talked about both i think even on the on the podcast and in private if every person who plays competitive nintendo games tomorrow said all right we are never buying another nintendo product no games no consoles we're not doing any microtransactions nothing that gets a dollar to nintendo they would lose nothing they would lose less than a tenth of their market because they are a a company that makes games for a massive casual audience i think that's just the metric of it that's that's the calculation on their end like they they they're like okay well we have this principle and this is very specific to nintendo about wanting games to not be competitive they want things to be kind of irreverent and and family focused and so they don't care if all of the nintendo related esports dies it wouldn't affect them yeah exactly and i think that's the point that we we sort of end on is like ultimately this is not enough money to move the needle for nintendo and so they they don't really care like we all as people who have been involved in this community for a long time feel very passionately about it. We like Super Smash Brothers esports. It's one of the games that connects kind of everyone in this industry. You have some touch point to it of playing it with friends, etc. at some point. And so it's really important and meaningful to us, but to this multi-billion dollar corporation, they don't care. And so with that, we're going to throw into the interview. We talk about it a little bit more. Before we do so though, Another plug, please, 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 if you are listening to this across any podcast platform, please give us reviews on Apple Podcasts specifically. We want other people to be able to find the show. Best way to do that is by reviewing on Apple Podcasts. It does help us with our visibility. It does give us a better chance of being featured. So please do that if you're enjoying the show, if you're listening to the show. And now for our discussion with Aiden and Slime. So there is one of the biggest esports games in the world by audience size, by people that watch it, is Super Smash Brothers. It, I'm sure people that are listening to this have had some sort of exposure to Super Smash Brothers at some point in their life, be that Ultimate more recently on the Nintendo Switch, or Super Smash Brothers Brawlay as children, which is how everybody here in this podcast right now got exposed to it. There was an event circuit called the Smash World Tour uh, that was essentially a collection of events bookended by a major event that was supposed to be in San Antonio, Texas, uh, this upcoming, yeah, no, weekend after next, sorry, uh, if you're listening to this on release. And this event was the culmination bringing in together circuit points all the way to this. Notably, that event was not licensed by Nintendo. It did not have a license by Nintendo. It was in the process of trying to get one and going jumping through all the hoops. Simultaneously, there is another event called the Panda Cup, which is also its own circuit. It is ran by a company called Panda Global, who are longtime Super Smash Brothers fighting game organization. have been around, I believe, since 2014, if memory serves correctly, but don't quote me on that. are responsible for having or has a roster of some of the most successful players in these titles on their lineup. And they announced earlier this year that they were given an official license by Nintendo to go run a circuit of their own called the Panda Cup. Last week, Smash World Tour uh, announced that they would be shutting down their finale event and not doing the tour for 2023. After guidance, they said from Nintendo, the creators of Super Smash Brothers, that they were not allowed to use the game on their broadcast. The game being Super Smash Brothers, not by Nintendo. And... As a result, they announced that they were canceling their event. Hey, normies out there, you may be asking, well, why didn't they get licensing? 
most events, 99% of these don't podcasts and these tournaments yeah. don't need or require them or have never operated with them. The anecdote that I like to dig into the bag for is uh, before I ran my first major tournament, it was called Don't Park on the Grass, which was a tournament with about 1,200 people. And this is in 2016. And I got uh, contacted by Nintendo to talk about a licensing agreement because licensing agreements have been around for a while. And that was probably around the period of time where there was like the first wave of like Nintendo licensing going around at majors. And I got in the call. I'm 19 years old. I get in the call. I read the licensing agreement. I go over it with them. And I ask plainly, I don't understand. What does this do for me? And I, I that has stuck with me because it didn't do anything. It only provided restrictions to my event. It made my job harder without providing any support. And I understand that that's not the purpose of a licensing agreement. But it was also understood that if you ran your tournament unlicensed, that you weren't going to be shut down. So what was the appeal of like getting involved in any capacity? And I, I think about that a lot. And things have continued to operate that way for the entire like 20-year period, where like majors have operated without these licensing agreements. And Nintendo has been somewhat hands-off, which has like changed, I would say, more so in the past two years, where there has been this more concrete effort to get tournaments not only involved in this circuit but also licensed tournaments outside of that circuit the second wave of licensing as i see it because like there was a really concentrated effort to like license tournaments around the sort of like late 2015 to 2017 period and now nintendo has come back seeking licenses for major tournaments again in this like 2021 to 2022 period uh which is interesting because in that like in that space of time, in kind of like that 2019 period, it weirdly didn't matter for a while. Like the conversation wasn't even really a talking point. So the interest has kind of faded in and out over time. Nintendo seems to like, there seems to be some effort at Nintendo uh, that has been rejuvenated in recent years to like get some sort of involvement or control of the Smash scene that I, I do not fully understand like why that would be the case. I can only guess as to why. The theory, the working theory is that whatever, like your tournament is in danger depending on which Japanese executive looks at Reddit that day, if at all. That's yeah. how it feels, you know? It's like literally a roll of the dice. And you're like, uh-oh, <laughs> what's going on here? Part of the statement that the Smash World Tour made was that they accused their competitor, the Panda Cup, and its top executive, Dr. Alan Bunny, of essentially being anti-competitive, going around telling people that, that if they did not join the Panda Cup, that they were going to be killed by Nintendo for copyright infringement purposes and uh, gave them the option, join our thing or be at risk, be at legal risk. And in a world which Aiden, I'm sure, can very thoroughly explain as an organizer, you know, the we are not talking about multi-billion dollar gaming companies putting on most of these events, right? We are talking about people who are very passionate about this, they do their best to source sponsorship, et cetera. You know, they're collecting fees to kind of help make this work. Most Smash events, most Smash tournaments are lucky if they break even. If they make a profit, they are the minority of, of the events. And so truly, you're dealing in a very particular situation where making a threat of that kind, allegedly, is a significant deal. Where threatening someone to potentially ask or to kill their tournament and put them in legal jeopardy and then have to wire up and fight you for it is a huge deal. And to Aiden and Slime's point also, this hadn't happened 
at least this specific instance, there's been some legal issues with Nintendo along the way, but the specific instance of canceling an event over using Super Smash Brothers Melee and Super Smash Brothers or Melee at the time, but one of the titles that is not modified had not happened in a long time. There's an instance of this in 2013 where Nintendo said that they were not going to allow the Smash event at Evo, the biggest fighting game tournament in the world, to be broadcast. And then the entire community ripped their ass on social media and they said, never mind, we'll let it go ahead as planned. And they backed off. Since they've gotten into some spats, they canceled a, a community. We've talked on this show about this before, but community made mod called Project M. Rip PM the goat, bro. Shit. They hmm. cease and desist that. Uh, they had an issue a couple of years ago with uh, online, a modification that was made to be able to play online during COVID where people were playing these games or the games that did not have net play were not allowed to be played over the internet were playing it and they made threats over that as well. Uh, but we've not had a like very simple, you use our game on broadcast and you know, we're okay with it. We're not going to kill you. And a lot of, a lot of the esports game manufacturers, whether it be Riot, Activision Blizzard, et cetera, most of them are pretty cool with you broadcasting their games. They don't make direct money from it, but the idea is that they get some level of exposure and then you buy their game or, you know, buy mer merchandise in their game in the case of skins, et cetera, and some of these titles. Nintendo's a little different, and I tend to think, based off my reporting, that Nintendo does not, and they might be right, Nintendo does not think that Super Smash Bros. Esports moves enough units like people aren't buying the game because of that they probably already have it. And so to them, it's very much a bottom line decision that that's kind of where we're, where we're at. So what's been happening over the past week is that smash world tour says, well, we were basically told we had to shut down. Nintendo says well, we didn't tell them to shut down. And now we're in this weird place where it's just been like mudslinging back and forth is how I described it in a newsletter last week, where it's basically, <laughs> we, we didn't tell you to shut down, but we imply that you should have or face legal jeopardy. And that the Smash Bros. Tour people took that as, well, fuck, we have no choice. Like, we got to shut down, basically, right? And that's that's where we're at. And the recent update today is that uh, Alan Bunny, who's accused of being anti-competitive and generally quite shitty to his uh, peers, uh, stepped down today as Panda Global CEO, said that he would have some sort of evidence to prove that the Smash Bros. Tour is lying. So that's where yeah. we're at. Also, really quick, another another interjection for the Normans out there. Who may, why why do you care? Why do you guys care so much? Like, you know, it's just like a Smash game. This game, Melee in particular, it's it's like crack for your fingers. It is so beautiful. It is something that sticks with you for the rest of your life. Me and Aiden will be playing this game, screaming at each other until we're sixty years old, because it's that deep and that accidentally amazing. Um, and the, the reason why that grassroots like scene has been so strong and surrounding it and ultimate the, and the newer games, right, as they come out, which the scenes are usually kind of schismed, but it's just the fact that they're that good, you know what I mean, as a competitive game. And I think that should be sort of uh, stated just to make sure. They have an emotional tie to them, too. And, and I do want to get y'all's broader thoughts on this topic uh, after now that we kind of go through the intro for people unfamiliar. But you know, these games have a very significant emotional resonance to them in a way that many other video games do not. Super Smash Bros. Melee is a 21-year-old game, or will be in a, a few weeks. And that is quite significant that there is a seemingly hundreds of thousands at minimum number of people that still care about it in 2022. That, that doesn't happen. The emotional connection that people have to this is very unique. 
part of the reason you see the reactions in the way that you have. People are angry. Uh, I would say that anger has been misguided. People have been doxxed since this entire scandal happened, which is not okay. Um, but, you know, the, the anger, the vitriol is totally understandable. So with that, Slime, Aiden, the broader, what are your broader thoughts on kind of where things stand now after like a week of, yeah, a mudslinging, more or less? Aiden has thoughts and, and feelings. I'm more of like a pundit at this point because... I I don't have my like wrists kind of deep in the in the workings of tournaments and stuff, um, but I know all the stuff that Aiden knows because we talk all the time and we and we hang out. We've worked together, and I worked at Beyond the Summit. I produced Smash events. Um, Aiden's been doing that before he worked at Beyond the Summit, uh, and so there there's this like level of like oh shit, what's going on now? Like what's what's the war look like? Uh, because let me tell you, this all happening right now with Alan, this is like in Game of Thrones. When the Night King is like, <laughs> I'm threatening everything, because because the war between BTS and like VGBC and whoever else wanted to step up and broadcast tournaments, because that's how revenue is generated, was was a thing, right? It was competition. But this person came in and said, No, 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 I'm taking everything away as far as far as what I've heard, um, and that that's where that this finally got like sort of exposed, right? Yeah, I, I I'm trying to think about kind of the levels of like onus here and like who is actually at fault for like what part of it. I think there has been a lot of uh, discomfort or problems with the way Panda tried to convince people to join their circuit over the course of the, like from the original announcement to like all the planning and all the changes and like inconsistencies in messaging that they provided different TOs in order to make their circuit happen. I've kind of talked about how like I, I imagine Alan was in this really challenging place where after years of like slow discussion with Nintendo, he finally got the green light to like move forward with the yeah. circuit. This is how I imagine it playing out, by the way, is like Alan and, and at the I, end I of just want to say. Yeah. You're right, by the way, and I, I won't share what happened in this conversation, but I can say myself, and I don't think anybody said this, that like it took Panda years, like at least three yeah. plus to get Nintendo on board with this idea. I remember being at Genesis 2020 before the world fell, fell apart during the pandemic and going to an off the record drink with a representative from Nintendo and Alan. After the event, things shut down. I was done with my media work and I was just like, I like went to go get a drink with him. And again, I'm not going to share the contents of the conversation because it was off the record, but like there was a Nintendo person at that, that drink or, you know, at that social gathering. And I was sort of perplexed that someone was even there, that they even cared enough to be there. So it did take them years. Anyway, continue. Yeah. I think that's useful. Yeah. It's just a really, it's a really slow moving company. Right. And, and the way I see it is at the end of 2021, somebody at Nintendo was finally like, hey, this is a go, announce this and get this going next year. We can do it. And Alan, with not a lot of time to put together this monstrosity of a task, has to now execute a circuit from the perspective of somebody who is not really a TO himself. And I would say, like, as someone who is like deeply ingrained in circles of organizers that like do communicate with one another and do execute events, Alan hasn't really been a part of that circle of people. So he's like calling upon a bunch of people relatively last minute to like activate this massive thing that like, you know, from Smash World Tour's perspective, they 
you know, took at least a year in advance of the first one to like start planning a project like this. And Alan basically had uh, a few months from like the announcement. So I, I do sympathize with the fact that he had what to me was like an almost impossible task and probably from his perspective had to do whatever he could to try and like get it off the ground and have a successful year one because Nintendo is so difficult and slow to work with that the opportunity um, if you were to blow it, probably isn't going to come around again because of like how difficult uh, managing a relationship with them could be. Uh, so that's that. That's kind of like the be- beginning of it to me. And then over the course of trying to convince people to get on tournaments, there is a lot of like stretching the truth, perhaps intentionally lying. We don't really know until like Alan, uh, it, until Alan or like maybe people from Panda answered questions. But to get people to join the circuit, like a, a really consistent thing that was told prior to the new Smash World Tour that got announced this year was that if Smash World Tour announces, they're going to be shut down immediately. They will not run next year. So come be a part of our circuit. And I can absolutely tell you that that was true because that was messaging that was told to me and probably like dozens of other people. Um, that was like, we were all convinced that Smash World Tour wasn't even going to happen this year because of stuff Alan was saying. And then all of a sudden Smash World Tour announces and moves forward. And it's something you that you can be a part of. So there's this big question of like, well, why would like Alan tell us the opposite? Is that is that a lie? Is it a misunderstanding? Because that message was like so like hammered on for so long. It's weird that that's not the case. Um, so now that leaves me like with an uneasy feeling um, and other TOs with an uneasy feeling of like, well, what else that's been communicated to me like might not necessarily be true or consistent. And it doesn't like set a great like groundwork for wanting to work with them in like the coming year, right? And then on top of that, I think as some TOs, including Smash World Tour, as they noted in their statements, started going directly to Nintendo to seek licenses and have conversations with them. And upon having conversations with Nintendo, realized that there were more discrepancies between what Alan was telling them and what Nintendo was telling them. So it's an even worse look because it now really does seem like Alan has is not telling us the truth. Alan is like manipulating things or saying things in order to convince people to join the circuit. So now maybe from Alan's perspective, this is all in the, in the right, right? This is justified because he sees a community-focused licensed circuit as the path forward for the community to be successful and to grow. Alan is not like a villain. He, he wants probably wants what's best for this scene that he's been a part of for 15 years. And maybe it's also what like grows his company and like makes it successful in the long run. Like those two things can like be true. But as like the year progressed, I think we got to this point where like a lot of TOs didn't trust Alan. And that's why if you look at the events that are a part of the Panda circuit, why so few events that uh, have history in this community actually signed on to it. Like, I think the number one complaint about the Panda Circuit was like, well, look at what it's composed of. It's like actually pretty barren in terms of like historical yeah. Smash events. And it was filled with like last minute signifiers and like regionals that like don't have a lot of history. And that's that's something to note. Also, during this process and before it, right, imagine you're a TO of a big tournament that has been established for years, right? There's two things that panda is coming at you uh with one is that you are basically when you're a to you're the bell of the ball and all the broadcast companies will come to you and they're like can we can you be on our channel and like and and, because that's how you get revenue right and the level of which a company will break off a piece of their revenue 
to stream the tournament on their channel and let you like an inter interweave has been a thing for the past like four years. Uh, it's it's actually developed into I believe a pretty healthy relationship. And so when someone, by the way, by the way, a market that didn't exist before then and was created by Beyond the Summit because I, they yes. came in and were Beyond the Summit came in and were like, oh. You guys like these streams, like these other streams, don't pay you for the right to broadcast your event. In fact, it often happens the other way you around. You had for to some pay reason. them to produce your tournament, and they would keep all the revenue. Right? This was a bad model that took advantage of tournament organizers, and I believe I will argue was corrected uh, because of Beyond the Summit's involvement eventually into the tournament yes. scene. Um, and so, so you're a TO. You're you got your you you look very pretty. You're you're gonna have a lot of top players at your tournament, and someone comes to you. But this is a new person, and they say it's gonna be on this channel. And you're okay. Well, these companies can give can break us off this amount of revenue if we hit these numbers. What can you give? I don't know. What what is Alan saying? Who knows? But he's also saying this will be part well, of the big circuit. We can give you an circuit. official Nintendo license, right? We, that I guess that's like sort of the veil is like, well, we can make sure your shit doesn't get rocked. But to Aiden's point earlier, like. You know, when the shit has not been rocked for so long, nine years. Things right? have like, been okay, right? Yeah, but also, right. he says, or, or this person says, let's just call it a, a Bamboo Global. They say, it's going to be on a <laughs> circuit. Doesn't that sound fun? And if you're a TO, you're like, no, no, it doesn't. Because circuits have been tried before. And circuits didn't work out because they're mismanaged and they're weird. And, <laughs> and Aiden's laughing right now because of how... How close, but how far it would get sometimes. Circuits are not a good word to hear these days. Also, also, where are the PF bots? Bro, just let me find them. Let me watch Junebug cook. <laughs> anyway, sorry. I wanted to, but I wanted to clarify that as a perspective of a TO, because these are this is where the wars are being fought, right? In these calls with these organizers. It, it is very much. It's a scene that is. Uh, I think I summed it up pretty well earlier. It's a scene that has had been left its own devices for so long that it figured out its own devices to your point slime it figured out what what made it kind of work again break even is working uh it, what sort of makes it work and then now it's being disrupted by two different parties nintendo who's being more hands-on and panda who is coming in with sort of this official license and idea to sort of shake things up a little bit and yeah. well i don't think it, initially i don't think that was ill-intentioned i do think based off everything we've heard it became that way uh and, what and, what yeah. panda what panda and nintendo like don't seem to understand and i kind of glean this from like conversations over time of just like the the general the general vibe if you will of what of Alan's sentiment about like the community growing it what tournament organizers like were doing wrong what is like wrong with the smash landscape as a whole and also just nintendo's decision making is like this circuit and this shutdown coming in in at a weird time where uh to me I want to say isn't even like coincidental where the smash scene without those parties has become surprisingly developed as far as their business goes. The ecosystem of Smash financially is stronger than it's ever been. And we're in a place where we weren't for a long time, where we have the capability to fund events and do interesting things for players. And like, there's just a lot more wealth to be spread around because like the actual business development of the scene has, uh, has grown a lot in the last few years. And I think we have demonstrably shown 
that we have done a better job for ourselves than Nintendo and Panda are now coming in to like offer. And that was a big reason like why a lot of these TOs said no, because it was like really providing very little benefit to them. But it, it feels like they aren't taking into account like what we've managed to do. And uh, on the, off the tail of all the times in the past that Nintendo has like impeded the growth of the Smash community. So I think there right. were like some leaks that came out last year where a lot of the conversations behind the scene scenes that like a lot of people did know about, but the public never really knew, uh, finally came to light. And that's the context that I think is like removed from a lot of this when we talk about it. Like if you're a new person coming fresh into this conversation, it might not seem as bad as it does to somebody who's close to it all because we have the understanding in the context of how many times in the past Nintendo has tripped us up. So for you to come in late and be like, here's the keys to this beautiful licensed circuit and you're going you're gonna to do great now if you just sign on after we've done all this work for ourselves and after it's in spite of what you've done to us in the past, it's like, well, why, why would that make me want to work, work with you? You don't have to do the bare minimum like a, a company for a newer game might have to do. You have to go above and beyond to prove to me that this support is legitimate for me to take you seriously and for me to trust you. And I don't think yep. this circuit this year and the decisions Nintendo has made, not even the decisions Panda has made, prove to me in any capacity that I would want them involved in anything. And that's why I'm never going to go to a Nintendo licensed event again. Because I'm, this is like the last straw. This isn't like, this yeah. isn't like, oh, this is happening in a vacuum, right? This is on the tail end of years of them fucking with the bag. And, uh, and now they've done maybe the worst decision of them all. It's, I, I've, I've also stressed this really hard is like, you know what would have been better than some corporate exec above the competitive team at Nintendo saying, let's shut this shit down? Just outcompete the circuit. Leverage your $50 billion company to just run a better circuit. And you would have won in a year anyway. Instead, you shot yourself yeah. in the foot. It's like, it's, and that's because the guy making the decision, I am so confident, is so removed and disconnected from what any of this means to any of us. He doesn't, he probably doesn't give a shit. And he's just like, yeah, well, it doesn't have a license. Let's shut this down. Yeah, and that, it's that's an easy the legal question. That's the problem. Yeah. That is the guy at Nintendo who gets to make the decisions and why I will never want to work with them. In addition, uh, I, I want to say, like, just let's take a step out and, and zoom out because people tend to not understand, which makes sense. The purpose of broadcast media is to sell advertising spots to monetize people watching your screen, right? That's yes. that's you might be like, wait, what? And it's like, yeah, no, for real. So that means selling ads, selling sponsorships. And if you have a circuit, which means you can package all of these tournaments together and you can get everyone to work together and you can t go to big company i like to use doritos a lot you go to doritos and you say we can have doritos at all like nine events with like fifty thousand people watching the whole year and they say okay here's a million dollars right that's what you make a circuit for is to get the attention of blue chip uh advertisers and then get a lot of money and hopefully break that off to everybody and spread that around right now well, the funny I part is if you have a circuit right you can you can easily leverage that but we did that as a community, and I will say, I think the sales team beyond the summit worked their ass off. They did that, right? The Papa John's yeah. deal was uh, was done without a sort of like 
that sort of collective weird control. It was just and people it, working together, you know? And Nintendo didn't like it. Nintendo didn't like it, dude. That's the problem. That's the problem. We have done something so substantial and tangible to help ourselves. And they're like, ah, ah, ah. It's like, you didn't wait for our eight-week response time to negotiate this deal with the ad agency who already is impatient with you. It's because ad agencies are just like a nightmare to work with, right? To your point, Aiden, it's like, it's this disrespect of the history, the scrappiness, you know, which is like truly meaningful, emotionally meaningful to every single person who's ever ran a tournament, a bootstrap tournament is like, you know, it's, these aren't overnight things. They're hard. They're emotional. They come with ups and downs where it feels like you're going to fail. And then they come with the highs of seeing it all put together. Right. And it's like, that truly means something to people and to come in and say that we can do it and be better. It is disrespectful. Truly. Especially, especially when it's, it is functionally worse. I think that's the irony. <laughs> right, is it's right. like come over to our circuit for a worse deal, and it's the ball pit from the Tumblr meetup. The other part too is that I look at this situation, trying to sort of speculate here about Nintendo and how some of these big companies work and with their IP. I think they saw someone as Panda as an opportunity that someone will do it for us, right? They'll figure it out. And while like Panda before all of this, before the circuit launched in April or was announced in April, Panda did have cred in the fighting game community to an extent, right? Like yeah. among players, et cetera, like people consider them pretty highly regarded. They're one of the few fighting game specific organizations that have figured out how to make things like, mon you know, monetarily sound for the most part. Uh, you know, like it, they, they had some cred, but they didn't have that sort of tournament organizer cred, which is a whole different ball game. It with is. a whole lot of other moving parts, it's a very difficult sum of parts to be able to put that all together. And so starting from everything, you know, starting from square one, I think Nintendo was like, great, somebody else is going to do this for us. Wonderful. We don't have to, you know, because if Nintendo, let's say, I, you know, hypothetically, Nintendo was to start their own Smash circuit that they ran. It was first party organized, etc. They're going to have to lose probably hundreds of millions of dollars on it before it finally gets to any sort of level. And it may never get to any sort of level to become, you know, making up its money, right? Like if that's, if that's, if that they were going to go put together the finale event or whatever else, right? Like, and they were going to do all of this work. It was going to cost them hiring. It was going to cost them a bunch of, you know, sort of venue, venue fees, organizing all the different things that come with that. You guys run events, you know how this works. Like it's an expensive sort of amalgamation. And so to Nintendo, it's, Hey, somebody else is going to do this for us. They'll eat the brunt of the cost. They'll figure out how it works economically. We don't have to deal with it. But then on the other side, like they chose the wrong person. They chose someone that didn't have a beyond the summit pole. It's yeah. not like you could just drop someone in and like, okay, run a tournament. Like it is a it is such a specialized skill set that is built over years. And if you choose the wrong person, that's that. You know? One of the things yeah. I was thinking about is a consistent sentiment I have got from a lot of different TOs is that Alan assumed the easy part of all this would be getting the tournament organizers on board. Correct. He assumed that Correct. once he got through the hard part of getting the relationship with Nintendo settled, everybody would just say yes to be a part of this. And I think that is the like that is such a misstep in general. Like he clearly valued or put more time into developing the relationship with Nintendo than he ever did with the tournament organizers that like control and make the biggest events in our scene. 
And he came in as a party who isn't really like familiar, I would say less familiar with these people than he should be. And was like, trust me, come over and be a part of this thing. But, and then also through the process of that, communicating things that were inconsistent or just flat out untrue. And I, I think that is a giant, it, the, the irony of this is that one of the first serious circuit efforts uh, done by <laughs> Commissioner Blur, if you will, I would say failed for very similar reasons, where there was a definite lack of faith in his role as the commissioner. Like there are a ton of other reasons as to why that that project failed. And I don't think it falls completely to him, but I think it's important to note that I think like, well, two years ago, somebody tried to do the exact same thing. And if you were if you had been paying attention to the scene or like we're friends with the parties that like had, we're trying to contribute to that project at the time. It's like, a, it's You'd like understand. a case study that you yeah. could just look at and be like, hmm, what did they do wrong? And then you could, and then you could figure it out for yourself. <laughs> uh, but it, it, it feels like a lot of the mistakes were actually surprisingly similar just happening two years later, which is, uh, I don't know, which is pretty funny. It is it, like way. from, from, I think from Aiden's perspective, perspective particularly it's really funny because he's just watching like star wars happen again and it's like they're making the same movie what the hell yeah uh, force, like, force awakens like, is just the same plot i was it's about to say i was about to say it's the it's the force awakens new hope it's but, like but yeah it's the, people, the, char- it, the characters are recast but the plot is not like, but, the, but it's people <laughs> that that didn't even see uh, a new hope and they're like this movie's pretty cool huh like electric yeah. swords like this is new right and they're like what? <laughs> so yeah. yeah that's a good that's a good analogy um so i do i have some other questions about non-smash stuff towards the end but i'll I will ask uh, something Smash related here. In the wake of this, uh, the Smash World Tour shut down. You know, a ton of the players said that they would not be going to Panda Cup. They withdrew. They obviously, like you all, considered Dude, Punk it to be left. bad faith. Yeah, right. Like Non-Smash like they, players are like, you know what? We stand together. They also know it's like probably a good PR move, but it's still nice to oh, see. Oh, sure. Um, but but there are. I mean, in a in a scene where dollars are so important i admire the people who are getting the hell out of this because it takes some real balls in a world where like you got to pay rent next month right and for some of those competitors this was the best opportunity they had to make considerable income right and so like it, yeah i i respect the, the gumption for the, the people that got out um but my point being you know a bunch of people withdrawing from panda cup and uh you all, the two of you, uh, Aiden on the event organizing side and Slime on the management side, and Ludwig, uh, who y'all work with, announced that you were doing the Scuff World Tour, which would be a Smash World Tour makeup event funded by you all. Uh, and you now have two weeks to put this damn thing together. Uh, what's that going like? Just to start basic. You know what's fun is that us three, the three of us in this call, we all found out at the same time in the same way. <laughs> Isn't that cool? Aiden, yeah. he gave you, apparently, he gave I was about to say, apparently, Aiden <laughs> he got a heads up. up. Yeah, yeah, I didn't know. Yeah, yeah. That's great. No, That's he, big for him. He asked me. He asked me if it was possible before. Okay. I said yes so that is why i, I knew I about see. it the day before but okay. that's and that's and that's progress it if is. i may he's i i often call ludwig he's like a charizard but you traded you himself you traded the charizard yourself early in the game and he doesn't listen to you like sometimes he'll do flamethrower and he'll destroy brock but sometimes he's like i don't do that and it's he's hard to tame so yeah so what's yeah, how uh, is it going bud <laughs> Yeah, we can uh, we can start with the fact that uh, sl- slime uh, is not working on the project. 
at least at the moment. Until the I, mo- I haven't I, been brought in, but I gotta do some delegation here. Uh, but I'm ready, uh, Captain. Tell going, me, tell me what I gotta do. It's going. You want to choose the? You want to figure casters out for me? Figure casters Maybe out. Maybe not say that. Talent, now you're gonna get a bunch of DMs because I said it. Broadcast, in public run a I'm show, sorry. all that. Uh, slime is the the official caster. Send your send your highlight reels, uh, your casting reels to Slime, please. Thank you. If Thank you, you haven't already, good. that's right. <laughs> um, but I think the main thing that's exciting about this, and and something that I really praise everybody in our small company for, and Ludwig, uh, Ludwig, perhaps above all else, is the person who pushes these forward is uh, we have probably the most like flexibility and mobility in esports and the influencer space because one guy just has to say, we should do this. It'd be cool. Let's get this done in two weeks. And we're, we have a team of people who uh, they might, we might sigh a little, but we're like, we're going to do this shit. And, we, and that, we know what we're that doing like and we want to do it. And that's the fun yeah. part, you know? Uh, because I, I, I think honestly, there's like so few parties that are like have kind of like the resources to turn something like this around, and I I kind of indulge in that fact. It's like you know what we can put like this. Uh, yeah. We can fly out yeah. 32 players from all around the world and host like a, a finals equivalent. Uh, you know, in two weeks. I mean, less than two weeks now. But uh, it's it's in progress. Getting all the players and like flights confirmed this week. Um, we have 16 people for each game. Luckily, you know, when Ludwig makes a big announcement like this, it gets a lot of, you know, traction and eyes, which means a lot of people like reach out to help, which is very cool too. Um, because I think it's seen as like a community effort in its own way. And, uh, I'm not fearful of the execution. Uh, I was a little fearful of the money we'd have to spend to do it, but even that isn't looking terrible, uh, right now because we have, we figured out a venue and all that stuff. So uh, it's very exciting. And I, I do take a lot of pride in the fact that one, Ludwig is willing to make decisions like this. And two, the rest of our team is capable of turning something like it around in that time. It's uh, it's just very cool. It makes me happy, even if I'm a little stressed inside. <laughs> yeah, we make it happen, man. I think uh, it's just, I mean, me and Aiden also, we, we, we would you know, put together summits and stuff like that, which has a lot more lead time. But like we, there, there's definitely fires that we were forged in individually. And like, this doesn't scare us. We just know that we got to like, we just got to lift the heavy weight, you know? So. I want to ask you all a broader question about working with Lud, uh, because, you know, he was on the show and he talked a little bit about Muggle Moves on and sort of the way that it's set up. Uh, Since he was on the show, he launched off brand, which is a separate company that does, I, when I explain the two things to each other, I go Mogul Moves to the Ludwig Company and Off Brand is the company that is co-owned by Ludwig, co-founded by Ludwig, but does stuff for other people, right? Like, is that? Do you think that's an accurate some some of the two? Yeah, I would say so. I think that is basically it. Yeah, got it. Um, like, do you want elaboration or? Yeah, sure, sure. Explain. Um, I think that the the difference between off brand that off brand is is job is to talk is to be the bridge between influencers and advertisers using both like of those those facets of of the industry to bring together events and then use third party broadcast companies to you know do the thing basically get Doritos to do something with XQC and then make that happen um, because influencers are I used to call them lazy. And some of them are, but they're also really busy. Uh, and and I, I genuinely believe that. They're busy. They don't have business acumen. 
Um, and that's sort of like it's off brand is like a grease. They're just greasy guys and they grease everything up and make they make deals happen. Uh, and Mogul Moves is Ludwig's basically it's it's everything that he wants to do as projects and um, you know from big events to, to videos and stuff like that and we we are we are the scaffolding that holds him up while he streams and and brings in the revenue to keep everything running. <laughs> yeah, you this you or this year y'all have done a lot of stuff be it launching bidets uh or launching uh you know launched for those unfamiliar launched an entire bidet line called swipe bidets uh you've ran events like the smash invitational that you were in charge of aiden a couple months ago uh it's been a busy year for you all especially coming coming out of the pandemic and being able to do more in-person stuff and you know as he uh, said on this podcast a few months ago, having YouTube's comically sized bag of money um, to yeah. at your disposal so that you have the ability to invest in these other things. Um, and so clearly, you know, a lot of, a lot of moving parts. We got a series a without the board. It's like the yeah, dream. It's insane. <laughs> <laughs> and boy, and boy, did we, boy, does our burn rate crazy. <laughs> you got the series a without having to sell any equity basically like you're you're just like here yeah. here you go like here you go youtube just cut us a revenue check it's, it looks nice so it's fucking yeah. sick and yeah. I, I think that's how ludwig pitched it to them honestly like my understanding when ludwig was like meeting with them is like are you down to uh lower my like required streaming hours per month so that i put this budget towards making interesting events and projects that basically no other person in the space is like willing to do and YouTube was like, yeah, that sounds dope. So a big shout out to the people who like figured figured that out and like kind of believed believed in that. Like, I think Lester was hidden here earlier. I was about to say you were insulting right him now. earlier, Slime. Yeah. Um, oh, really? But, uh, <laughs> is that like a... Look, Lester, you got to change the name. It's just <laughs> a weird name. But, but I think that's I think that's a really like a really cool thing is like we're we're like I said I think we're in a very very unique position where like most companies and groups of people either do not have the capital to make decisions like we do or suffer from so many levels of bureaucracy where they simply cannot make decisions on the timeline that we can. We didn't have to right. go like we didn't have to sit through a bunch of fucking all hands meetings to decide to do Scuff World Tour. Ludwig called me asked. Do you think hosting this at this date is possible? I said yes, and then Ludwig announced it. Like that's the timeline for figuring it out. And uh, that's also not to say like we don't spend a lot of time in the in the kitchen making more like rolled out things or planning in advance. Yeah. It's just like, like Ludwig Ludwig has always wanted to be agile, and you know, part of yeah. working for him and with him is like fuck yeah let's do it you there's know? kind of like two types of projects at mogul moves i would say there's the projects that have a lot like the the big ideas that like aren't tied to like a date or like an event in like culture and we get to plan them out and execute when we want to like the smash event is a better example of that where it was like a lot of months of lead time or uh we have a valorant event coming up in january that has been in the works for a while. And that's something exciting. You know, we have a much more appropriate timeline for putting something of that scale together. Whereas like some other projects, right? Uh, like uh, like this one we're working on right now is like capitalizing on a moment. And I think that's right. the idea. Yeah. Is like, can we like take this moment and turn it into something exciting, build a headline out of it. Um, and I think that's what Ludwig looks to activate. Well, I wanted to ask you all about the kind of what you were talking about a little bit earlier slime in that answer, which was the spinning up a business, sophisticating content creation 
in a way that I don't think it has been in this type before. Let's call it like the creator empowerment movement, for lack of a better term. Uh, because Don't give you know, them that tr- much, man. They, uh, they, they need less power. No, I see what you're uh, saying. I'm messing around. No, 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 no. But, you know, we had, <laughs> we had Hutch on this podcast a couple months ago, and he was talking about, like, you know, how he was paying, like, 50 grand a year by machinima or whatever while he was like his youtube ch- channel was like bringing in millions of views every single month right like that's not fair to the poor guy like fuck that sucks right right, right. yeah he was being taken advantage of whereas this is like the inverse this is sort of sort of the creator like you know sort of driving the ship and what they want to do and then building up a business unit around them whether it be the two of you whether it be someone like nick allen who has a very deep professional background being goat. able to it's, it's yeah not, not that deep not that deep hasn't even done that much honestly okay well back to slime's point giving me shit for being the league of legends guy i'll contest that one as as someone who's who's been uh on the other end of the phone calling nick allen for comment on riot games ventures uh i i will contest that but um yeah so you know you guys like building up a business unit around it and i want to talk about that specifically sort of that sophistication being able to do that in that different way because very few creators have done it you know they may have a manager they may have an agent whatever else i may have, you know small staff that works on their youtube videos youtube editing but it's not like you all where it's this sort of you, you have a director of marketing you have yourself running events aiden etc like you have staff that is not the traditional type of staff that works under a content creator very few have done that the difference i think is that we just come from a, a professional background which is beyond the summit and ludwig just poached all of us and in addition aiden which was running tournaments at 19 years old that a thousand people would come to like he has just selected a team that has worked at a larger scale than most creators and we just know what we're doing enough to like execute i don't think i don't, yeah, I don't think we're the goats i think aiden actually is kind of like the goat at toing i would never admit that to him uh I, i'll take you down after this a couple pegs okay. but um yeah no, it's, it's okay. more shut, shut the fuck up and talking and so it's more like it's uh i think that's just the big difference right and most influencers kind of like fell into it i feel ludwig always yes. not that ludwig's like that different he but he had this ambition and i think he always was setting himself up for the next step while he was doing the current step um and now he's just at this point where he can do things he wants with agility and part of it was making sure that his support staff can understand that and and do that. That that's a good answer. I think I think about even when I met him for the first time at an event. God, I don't even remember what year it was. A while ago, smash something. Um, and it was very clear even before the fame that it was thinking about what happens when the fame comes. Even even years before it actually did, before the fame and the money showed up. You know, thinking about like, well, what happens when I get it? Right. So it's like this like long term thinking that I think a lot of the creators just don't have the creators yeah, all, that I interact with. Also, there, there's two things. One off brand is like his escape hatch to become a normal human being and not have to push out videos and end up on a Sunny V2 video about how he fell off and still be involved in an environment he loves. <laughs> um, and I think that's like an insane amount of foresight that a lot of people don't have. It also, right. um, it's a measurement of ambition. I think there's your Ebys and your Germas and your your Kai's and your Ludwig's of the world that that really just like they and Point Crow also too. They they really just want to do the next big thing. They want to they want to take a step further. And uh, some content creators don't like some content creators want to flip on yeah. the game, play it for nine hours straight, turn off the game, and that's okay too. But 
that ambition requires work and it requires support and and you can't just can't just spin it up um so it's just like a natural progression of what he wanted was hiring people to help him i want to talk about something that's uh i had my own experiences with this year and it's tough and it's working with friends uh you know you you guys host the yard uh co-host the yard with Lud and uh with falco and y'all together co- uh broadly you know i was listening to the most recent episode and there was a joke that Lud made that it was like i do this to make my friends rich and you know if somebody without the context of the relationship of the four of you would be like yo man that guy's an asshole um but like totally uh, obviously it's a joke and the there's context and depth there but it is hard when you disagree with someone that like you're friendly with otherwise. And both of you all started as his friends, not as his employees. And so I want to ask you about that, the working with friends and how it changes the dynamic of things. I, I imagine we're just going to be pretty similar. We're just, are we just goaded Aiden? We communicate with each other. And when there are problems, we figure it out. And Ludwig is actually <laughs> extremely easy to kind of work with. He has this problem where he doesn't communicate when he does have problems and he just tries to fix it quietly, uh, which we've tried to draw out of him. I bought a Sibian. Do you know what a Sibian is, Jacob Wolf? I do not. You don't? Please elaborate. Yeah. So a Sibian, Jacob Wolf, is an electronic sex machine that you sit on uh, and you put inside of you and it vibrates at just neck break speeds. Um, it vibrates and- fast. It's, it's as fast as it's, can be. If, if you were close enough to it, you might mistake it for a jackhammer outside your room. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I bought this Sibian and I used like his company money instead of like yard money. And it was just like this, this issue that we didn't really, I didn't really understand was a problem because it's an expensive sex machine, Jacob. It's like $3,000 <laughs> for a Sibian for a good one. And I wanted to get a good one. And I, I just bought you it. You wouldn't want a bad Sibian. Would you want a bad Sibian? No. You want the, the, the Maserati of Sibians. And I if bought it's it for going, a gag. If it's, if it's going somewhere, you wouldn't want it to be bad. <laughs> I bought it for a gag on the show. And uh, and it was this thing. And it was like probably one of our biggest conflicts. was like, oh, you should you be using like yard money for that. And I'm like, you know what? You're right. And I think about it. But like it, as far as like things like that, we we – I think we really are good at problem solving and care about each other. And there's no, there's no ego. You know what I mean? Like we all care about the, th- we all know our strengths. We know our weaknesses and we work together. Um, and that's, I think why we're also friends, right? The, the drama is kept to a minimum because we talk. Yeah. I, I think that's basically, I, I think we're all very good about being candid and communicative with each other. Like we're very upfront about our like personal problems as well as like our problems related to work and find a way to like work through them generally. And also kind of have this unique shared ambition in different ways. I, I think we're, we're almost lucky in a way where like all of us sort of have this like different area of like expertise that was like applicable to what Ludwig wanted to do. And we all have similar values in terms of like why we want to accomplish things and what we like, what we want to do in the space. And also like how we communicate those things to uh, others. And it's so I, I don't feel like there's ever been like a heavy, a heavy tension in that regard. Cause this question's come up more than once. And I'm always surprised by like how easy it is in a way. The um, most me and Aiden have ever fought has not been about work. It was about he it's took about my melee. green tea. Oh, melee! Oh, but you also the green my tea. tea. 
And I yeah. literally almost fought him with my actual hands. And that had nothing to do with work. It had, it had everything to do with him being just uncompromisingly evil. <laughs> there was a... Okay, okay. Bought you a replacement one. Anyway... Green teas aside, I think something that also really helped is like the base, like this core group of people, if you want to call like the the four of us that, although like at this point, the company extends like far beyond yeah. like our, our group. Um, we had all worked together before, like uh, pretty much all of us were coworkers except for Ludwig with already there were instances where like prior to us leaving beyond the summit, Ludwig would like rope us into things somehow be like, can you help me with this? Can you do this for me? I'll pay you like this contractor fee to like, just do this one thing. So there was a lot of like groundwork for whether or not it would be a good idea. And uh, it's pretty much stayed that way. Like I think, you know, our friendship is like fundamentally very similar to how it was before. I don't think the company has like drastically changed a lot of it other than the fact that we all just have more to do. Uh, I think we're all busier than we used to be. Uh, but that's, I don't know, that's about it. And it, uh, one last note in the yard, uh, Ludwig has admitted that he created a monster because me and Nick and Ludwig lived together, just us, way back when me and Nick started at BTS. And then we always talked about just doing a podcast. Like we're all in the house, uh, you know, we're funny, we are, <laughs> it's just the, the literal, oh, we should start a podcast thing. We talked about it for years. And then finally, Ludwig was like, let's get this going. Let's do it. And he gave us a deadline. And then we did it, and it became a monster. And we make way more money as, like, employees through the podcast. And he said, like, I can't – I can no longer get you guys to do things because of the podcast is so big. And I was like, don't ever talk to me like that ever again, you dumb piece of shit. Like, that's, that's not why we're doing this. It's not – you're not – it's not because, like, you're paying us. It's because we like what we do. And that's never going to really change, right? Uh, and so it was. I think it was reassuring for him to hear that's like, no, bro, it's not like that. Like the bread's good, but we also yeah. want to make tournaments and and broadcasts and stuff. Yeah, I want to do something cool. That's what that. Like I said earlier, like this is this is an incredible opportunity to not only work with my friends, but also to turn things around that I think like nobody else really can in this space right now. And uh, that's very exciting to me. Like I'm I'm ultimately very happy that this is my position at the end of the day we're gonna take some audience questions here in a moment so if do not field questions from anime pfps what what is your beef slime with the what the is anime my PFPs? dude you i understand it but what you is, get what it is, yeah. you know what it's yeah. like it's always some fucking person with the jc denton from deus ex profile picture saying the most evil shit you could ever think of and you're like why are you here go enrich your life Stop it. Yeah. No, I, I don't disagree. Yeah, I, just wanted to know anime, your, I wanted to know your very specific beef. I, I think I think y'all will also be happy to know that y'all um this podcast is more listened to uh than the Ludwig podcast, at least live. Uh y'all ah! y'all have something else that you go smack him over. So yeah. Uh, we there, take our there, dubs where we can. There you go. And that's fully dependent on that's fully dependent on y'all. So there there you go. You know what I don't uh, tell them enough is that I'm proud of them. It's hard because it's like we grew up or we when we met, it was just us giving shit constantly to each other. Me to a fault. I gave him too much shit. I hurt his feelings a lot. But uh, I'm just so proud of him, man. Yeah. He's so yeah, cool. I, the, the hustle is uh, – the hustle of y'all's entire group is impressive, I, mu I must say. Because, like, I met I met a lot, of, a lot of you, or at least, like, rough shoulders when it was not what it is now. You know, I met, like, Nate – very early on to his time at Genji, 
I met Brandon very early at his time at Twitch. Right. And like to, and I met Lud when he was unemployed or at best. Life, <laughs> <unemployed>. <laughs> and, then, and then like the, where, where that is now, all these years later as creators, as, as a company, et cetera, it is, uh, it's very cool to see. So give your, give yourself all props as, as a group. So it is deserved. Um, I want to ask you about what's next. Cause I'm something, I'm sure it's something you'll think about all the time. Not, li- not literally. Right. But the, Obviously, you mentioned the Valorant thing. You all are working on Aiden a couple different times. You know, you've got the the scuffed uh, scuffed event here in two weeks, the Smash makeup event, and you know, you if I'm correct, just bookended the yard for the year, the end of this year at least. Not totally, but you know, did did its thing, and y'all are y'all taking it off over the next couple of weeks? Is that right? We're actually no? going to film this week's episode like a couple hours after this. Yeah, oh, you fun. you are going to be. We're gonna roast the shit out of you for half an hour straight, nonstop quips. Do you understand, Jacob? Go ahead. Go ahead. No, I, <laughs> I, I don't it. remember. I don't remember. I the, love it. I don't remember. Yo, hey. Yeah. So in the he context, no, what a Sibian was. That's okay. Oh, okay. Dude. Okay. Okay. In the context of <laughs> the lat, the last time that you roasted the shit out of me, slime. I want to give you the context of what was happening in my life when what that happened. happened. So, so in December, the last time I was roasted by slime was on a podcast was December of 2016. I did not remember it until he said something today. And the, because what happened the month prior and the month and a half prior was so fucking egregious that I just like blanked out for the rest of the year. So I reported that the second biggest league of legends team in the world was breaking up despite riot asking me not to despite the team asking me not to. And I fucking did it anyway, because I'm a reporter. I'm a journalist. It's my oh, goddamn so job. Dope. And, so and you sick. know what? And you know what? I had everyone shit on me. I had Reddit people fucking doxing my address and publishing my old address. I had like people sending me back on Skype fucking malware to try to get my IP address. Like this shit was fucked. I had the biggest, the second big or the second winningest team whatever most popular team in the world behind only skt is the only one more popular than they were and they're out here like calling me a liar calling my for my fucking job riot revokes my credential for an Dude, event and i go crazy. anyway and so that was a month and a half prior to you shitting me on a pocket or shitting and then on we just made fun of you either. because uh, alongside <laughs> making fun of bowser in melee like we don't know <laughs> yeah so uh, i i was just right, like man. you know or, what you were forged in the fire Mm. Yeah, I was just like, you know what? Nothing can break. Me. None of this Smash Brothers shit can break me. Fuck y'all. There you go. There's love, my, East, my esports persona. You're all right, uh, anyway. Jacob. You're all right. <laughs> 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 all right. So uh, we we do have a question. We have a lot of questions. Um, this one is from Louise. Okay, when it comes to the impromptu Smash events, Lugwood has had this year. We have the Scuffed World Tour. How difficult is it from a production point of view to create an amazing experience? For not only the players but the fans too in such a quick turnaround and then second how hard is it to profit slash monetize these smash events uh especially so quickly i remember ludwig said during this ludwig smash invitational that they had lost 100k and aiden you corrected him and said it was the 200k <laughs> loss and obviously the community appreciates ludwig a, a ton for doing a scuffed world tour and what he does for a scene but isn't that loss a concern for his sustainability long term and future events would being able to have an easier partnership potentially solve this issue? Thank you. That's the million dollar question, quite literally. There, actually, that last one. So yeah, right. Go for it. Go for it. The both of you. Yeah. Uh, uh, okay, real yeah, quick. So uh, I, 
It's the mm-hmm. players had, making a great event for viewers and players. Players are easy. You just got to take care of them. Make sure they're okay. Make sure they're taken care of. Make sure they're fed. All that. Make sure they like the format. They're going to whinge. They're going to cry. They're going to try to change their seating, but you just hold strong. You t- say, no, we won't check the disc, Juan. We won't do it. And for <laughs> as far as a broadcast, it just needs to be clean. You know, Make sure the auto is good. This is not something we particularly, like most of the things we do is we outsource to companies like BTS or whatever to uh to handle the literal production, the the cables and the buttons of putting something on the screen, um, but yeah, go ahead. Aiden. Yeah, I I think uh, timeline wise, the biggest stressors, uh, production like uh, production wise, are are on the like boots on the ground people planning it. Somebody like Juna, who might be like the director um, of of an entire uh, broadcast production at an event, and planning that all out, getting all the equipment to the venue like whether you're renting or own that need to ship it across the country getting your staff planned out for it um all of those like components oh and the graphics package like getting a whole graphics package done and designed in time um those are probably some of the biggest stressors for this event coming up because it's just like those things just naturally take a lot of time um and when you try to condense that into a short period uh, it can be it can be rather difficult. It also depends on like the scale and like spectacle of the broadcast. Like naturally, if you're watching Smash tournaments maybe like seven years ago, or especially if you're watching Smash tournaments ten years ago, right? Most of those productions were done by one person with one PC, and it was a super bare bones, simple setup. And honestly, when people were getting into it back then, like when the wave of like dot kids was coming in, I don't even think a lot of people like cared or thought about it because like the gameplay and the players on the screen are like the biggest priority of them all. Now, like as time has passed, there's definitely expectations for like what a broadcast needs to look like and uh, how how it flows. Um, how like you know does the audio work is is the gameplay audio like desynced from something do the caster mic suck like obviously there is a higher standard now than there used to be um, but I think at the end of the day it it is a uh, compared to something like say like a Counter Strike um, the broadcasts are a little more bare bones just by the nature of the game than than something like that. Uh, and so that makes it easier to spin something up on a time period like this. Because like, if we were trying to put together a, a, a Counter-Strike tournament with six teams on like this timeline, it might actually be impossible. But because like, at, like, the Smash, a Smash broadcast in its simplest form is two people sitting down at a single setup that is plugged into slippy like replay capturing that you then do like a window capture of in OBS... And you, maybe you have like a webcam to show the players. That's like the simplest version of what you could do. And on a time like like this, you could always spin something like that up. Now, how many like bells and whistles you want to add on to that, and how well you want to execute that, and how like how much polish your broadcast has? Uh, I think that's more dependent on like what your event is supposed to communicate. Um, so, but when you call it the Scuff World Tour, you kind of set yourself up for uh, any expectation you want. And exactly. That's a move. Exactly. Um, and as, part of the as, reason why this event is even possible is because I think like the broadcast could be a little shoddy at the end of the day, which I don't expect it to be based on the people who are helping us and are in charge of that. Uh, but I, but what I am saying is like 
I think people give you a lot of like leeway and have give you a lot of goodwill because uh, when they take things like the timeline and the intention of the event into account. Uh, as far as monetization, so the way the way these big companies work, most most companies they they allocate their marketing budget uh, f- like before the end of the year for the next year. So that's why sales is tough because you have to establish multi year relationships to be able to be like, okay, can we get this for next year? And then they allocate that to you. However, sometimes at the end of the year, they realize they have to dump their marketing budget because if they don't spend it all, then they won't get as much the next time. So they're incentivized to. That's why you'll see shit like uh, like Mango's birthday bash. It's like you know they're trying to they're trying to dump money. I would assume. Um, or or what was the other event Blur ran? The Twitch Christmas one. Like oh, the, the Twitch Christmas that, party. Two years before Bro. that. Yeah, where uh, do you think that money came from? So the budget's got to get spent somehow. But it's got to get spent. They don't want less. Uh, so it depends. But you definitely don't want to be in that spot where you're kind of hoping that someone just swings in from the rafters. Luckily, Ludwig has a lot of connections and and clout, right? He can t- call up Mr. Beast and be like, hey, any bars? Uh, and that's that's a big <laughs> advantage. Yeah. I, I think the the sales aspect, like you're you're asking like how these things, especially invitationals, right, where we don't have ticket revenue, like something like this d- is not going to sell open tickets, and ticket revenue is probably the biggest stream of revenue for most Smash majors still. Like until we have a more developed sponsorship ecosystem, which you know is kind of a work in progress, uh, ticket sales are like what moves the needle for most major tournaments. Uh, but we're in a unique spot where I think like. The Ludwig Smash Invitational, which notably struggled because a sponsor backed out um, last minute, could have performed better uh, from a sales perspective and uh, a profitability perspective if that timeline to plan it had been longer. Because we're not necessarily looking to plan events on the timeline of whether or not we can do sales or not. We're just fitting them in as like Ludwig wants to do them. And I do think as we kind of age as a company, our approach to these things will have to like be a little more refined. But when we're in this first year of this like YouTube money boost, uh, we we kind of have the privilege to make decisions in a little bit more of a risky way. It's very like, it basically it's like accepted uh, that we will lose money on an event like that because that's what the money was for. That's why Ludwig signed with YouTube initially was to use that money to fund projects like this, ignoring the sales aspect of it. Now we'll have to come around um, and and see where the fucking chickens roost eventually. Uh, but for the time being, uh, this is this is like an okay approach for us, and we're not even like and and that's keeping in mind that sales continue to happen. So I think like that clip, I say like we lost two hundred thousand dollars, which was the estimate at the time. We actually ended up losing like a hundred and like ten k, a hundred twenty k. So it was less than what I corrected, uh, because uh because of the last minute sponsorships that we did bring into that project, um, and I expect as our timelines get a little more developed and our company. Um, becomes a little more structured and we get away from this year one of the YouTube deal uh, that uh, we will have more sponsors for these uh, for these projects that we plan. Uh, so that's that's kind of like the way that I see it, at least. Our next question is going to be from Tanner Griffith, who is also here to speak. Hey, guys. Thanks for having me on. Um, I just wanted to ask uh, sort of a two part question here. Um, I wanted to know what your guys' thoughts uh, were about the vision of the future of Smash. Um, you know, what does a perfect world look like where there are Smash tournaments? Do you see Smash World Tour coming back next year? Um, and as well, too, 
do you see a future where two circuits can coexist? Or does this put a bad taste in a lot of organizers' mouth moving forward? Um, so as far as the, the two-circuit question goes, um, I actually think two circuits is perfect in a weird way. I thought we were in such a great position as a community with both of them existing because it forced them to compete with each other. There were already instances of like people saying no to one circuit and like not n- and yes to the other because of what one circuit was able to offer or their like trust in the operations of the other circuit. And uh, there was this weird kind of unique time where three parties, the Smash World Tour, BTS, and Panda were competing for TO's attention and giving them offers to like integrate them into like their their business. And having multiple circuits uh, means that like you like one of the big problems that I have with this shutdown, whether or not like I, I honestly don't I believe Panda and Alan when they say they didn't know that Nintendo was going to make that call. Um, one of the big problems with the whole thing, regardless of whether they knew or not, is Nintendo, instead of out-competing the other circuit, like they certainly could have done, decided to shoot the competition down instead, which is like a big issue to me. And if we had two for the next few years, forcing each one of them to like bring more to the table to keep TOs involved, that only benefits the community in my eyes. And we just only get more Smash to watch as well. There is some degree where like saturation becomes a problem. And we can kind of see that, I think, in like Counter-Strike has had issues with like too many too many people at the table and it's a little hard to keep track of but ultimately two circuits would have been a better scenario for the community um i think an ideal version of the future now i'm not sure if smash world tour is going to come back and like give it another shot i i really have like no clue but i think the best version of the circuit we could have is there's some third party commissioner that the tos trust that is not attached to a particular company or brand that has like stake in the space. Um, and then the TOs are a co-op that like operate each of their individual events in agreement of it being a circuit. And BT- like something, something like the BTS sell- sales department gets to sell across it. And part of the budget for every tournament that is raised through sales is allotted to fly like a portion of top players out to like each totem pole event across the year. And then the finals should be Genesis, in my opinion, because it takes our finals out of this weird November, December in uh, like window where every other esports finals is. We position ourselves in like January instead. It's already our most important, biggest event. And there's sort of a natural off season after Genesis ends, I would say, where generally there aren't really any any like yep. super large tournaments in February. And then like March doesn't like March doesn't hit its stride until usually like the end of March when like collision happens. Um, so I, I think that would be a great model of what we could do in the future. Is basically the totem pole TOs get together and agree to like operate somebody with the help of like some sort of third party that has no reason to like fuck anybody over. And, uh, and we have like a circuit that sort of like runs itself, so to speak, undoubtedly needs staff and support and things like that. But I think instead of forcing a pop-up of like a brand new event to be the finals or like creating new events and trying to like pack the schedule full of things, I think that's a much better direction to go in. I agree. Yeah, I'm sad to say my thoughts are we're going to go from having two circuits to zero circuits in 2023 as as a Super Smash Brothers community. I think as as WT got the got the word, uh, you know, <laughs> read subliminally between the lines, and uh, Panda Cup is 
not going to have think, all that much goodwill if it even tries to continue. Yeah, I, I think I didn't get to bring this up earlier, but I think a, an, an important point that I wanted to kind of finish off uh, what I was saying when like Panda was struggling with all these communications with the TOs and like TOs were having issues with that. I think all of that could have happened and like this this Panda BTS thing could have happened and nothing would have come of it other than the fact that people still wouldn't have wanted to work with the Panda circuit long run. Uh, but Nintendo, Nintendo choosing to shut down the Smash World Tour is like the match. It's like, okay, well now we have to take a stand because we've actually lost something. And I I think that's important to say is like, even if Panda was like removed from that decision that was actually made, it's like these two parties are in a joint venture and we've now lost something that's like very tangible uh, in the community. So now it's like, well, we weren't going to say anything about these problems that we had with the Panda circuit before because it didn't matter. We had an alternative. We had a path. Like we could either run unlicensed events or potentially license our events if we wanted to independently with Nintendo and not Panda's involvement. And now all of a sudden a whole tour has been shut down. So it's like now we have to act. Now I have to like make a statement like I don't want to go to the Panda Cup or Panda events anymore because of the decision that Nintendo made. It changed everything. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think, you know, that the even if even if everyone's here and it's like well they didn't actually shut us down they didn't send us the cease and desist it doesn't matter like it's the they dared them and you can't like when you're bg boot camp and the like like you can't just be like yeah we'll eat the cost to defend ourselves against nintendo legally like the the even if the nuance is different than what we currently know it it doesn't matter the the decision is the same you're not going to fight a legal battle against nintendo yeah like even if they didn't send you the letter just say shut the fuck down basically like that yeah I think that's that's important too because the communication is on all sides has been awful in the wake of this. Like it's just it's bad. That it, yeah, that nobody's and there's nobody, more to come. Jacob Wolf. I know, I know, I know. Like a Sibian, it just keeps giving and giving and giving, and eventually it Alan. Stop. With it, the hey, sw- the switch quit. is on. The Why switch is on, and in. nobody's flipping it. <laughs> we still have to wait on uh, Alan's statement, which is really interesting, but we'll see. The question is, we don't know. We'll see. We know Aiden, Aiden laid out a beautiful vision of the world, vision of a better world that who knows what will happen. The uh, next question we had, I don't know if they're going to come up to ask it. They've been invited. If not, I will read. Uh, it's from, uh, I think it's Mopu, and I'm sorry to tell you. Oh, Mopu. Uh, so or Mapu. I'm pretty sure that's an anime profile picture. No, so they're, he, they're fine. It, we <laughs> okay. we have a history, and I'm so glad to field this question. If you guys could like change the trajectory of both like melee as a scene and also like the content space of melee, what would you change? I, it's hard because I I tend to think most melee content is just not that great. Um, and I think esports content in general has been taking a nosedive because it's not as novel as it used to be. I think about like old, like again, BTS. I, I, I came up watching like Summit 2, you know, and they, and they started filming sketches for the first time. And it was like this really interesting thing. And now I feel like there's, I, I don't know what people want. I, I don't know what they want to watch as far as content that isn't gameplay. Um, and to be honest, I think it's all. I resent a lot of it because it's like not funny and that's really all I care about. So I guess I'm the wrong guy to ask. I do think that more quality over quantity is 
what I would prefer, but I know that's not what pays the bills. There was that recent uh, the production people that did the they're called Action Esports. They did a JMOOC documentary. I thought it was really yeah. well done. Um, and I think Walt is on the cusp of doing some good stuff, but Walt also feels like he needs to pump it out, which you do to make a living. So it's it's a weird spot, but. I'm agnostic, angrily agnostic about me- melee content and Smash content. I I have a thought on this actually, just broadly about esports content, and it's interesting to have the two of you here when I uh, to share this take. Um, I think esports has a truly awful a- as a whole, and I say any competitive gaming where competition is the main focus, not sort of whatever. If you want to divide yourself from you know league or whatever, I, I mean collectively, they all have storytelling problems to a certain degree. When the competition is the primary focus of the the people that are seen the most on broadcasts, et cetera, right? Which it is, is to be good at these games and to win at these games. It is really hard for these people to be really compelling personalities. A lot of it's just not in them. I think that actually Smash is very lucky that some of its best players are also big personalities. People like Mango, people like Hungrybox, et cetera. Right. Yeah, like they're, it's 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 lucky that those two things are kind of naturally blended somewhat out of necessity because those guys at one point had to do those things to be able to make money and and to put a roof over their heads. Not so much anymore because they're so big and things are good for them now. But when I think more broadly about all competitive video games and the competition scenes. We have a real problem with the ability to tell stories to people that don't care about the games themselves. So if you don't care about smash if you don't care about league if you don't care about whatever else it doesn't matter to you how good somebody was at a shine what matters to you is the sort of the story of that person the personality it's everything yeah that's why the documentary was so big right exactly the documentary hit a bunch of things but it's funny because like y'all you know y'all are a part of the wave i think and and lud is a part of the wave where it became less about the video games and it became more about the people Right. So much that like when Cutie was on this. Correct. Correct. And so much to the point where like when Cutie was on this podcast two weeks ago, she was just like, I turn on video games, all my streamers or like all my viewers go away. Like she starts playing. She's like, I do it at the end of my stream so I don't kill my stream, my stream count. Right. Mm -hmm. And it's that's new. That's novel. That's that's changing. That's what's been happening over the past two years or so. Uh, The shift from sort of competitive gaming to on Twitch, et cetera, to personality yeah that's actually how atriox summed up off brand i was like why are you doing this bro why do you want to keep working with influencers are fucking miserable and he goes (laughs) and then he said uh it's this is like the new thing this is this is the turning point and i want to be in on it and i believe he's right he's right that's that was annoying to hear from him he's on i don't like him (laughs) i'll say it uh he's totally right um we have an- another question. Uh, let's see if he'll take take my uh, invite, or if he'll take the invite from Prime from this little little known guy named Nick. Had a question uh, for Aiden. Um, let's see, Nick, you, you're in, you're invited to speak, I believe, if you want to accept it. If not, I'll read your question too. But I'd prefer you give Aiden grief than me give Aiden grief. Yeah, go ahead. Hey guys. Uh, Huge fan of the hashtag Visionaries podcast. Uh, first time asking a question, so you know, please <laughs> go easy on me. Uh, anywho, who's uh, my question for Aiden? Why do you go 
and buy pho, like, why do you get it to go? But then when you come home, you, like, put it in one of our ceramic bowls, and then you put it in the sink, and then it makes more dishes. Because it feels like, to me, if you're going to get to-go food, you you would eat it in the to-go packaging, because that's kind of the convenience of it. You pay the premium for that. But then you still make more dishes, and sometimes you don't even do them the same day. So it's like, can you help me understand a little bit of your rationale? And uh, I appreciate you taking my question. This is... It's a great I, question, I, no, Nick. Thank no you for way. calling in. Don't say it's a great question. Don't say it's, it's a, a great, great question. question. Aiden, you want to handle this one? This is a, this is rich coming from the king of not doing dishes. This is this is I won't I won't be I think I found the friendship tension, the working with hung, your friends. I think I found out to the dry tension. on the dish front. <laughs> also, also, the answer is simple. The answer is so simple. Okay. The packaging that they put your pho in is too small to eat out of. If you pour all the ingredients into the bowl that they give you, it overflows. You can't eat out of it. So you have to move it to a different, bigger bowl so it doesn't spill everywhere. I think that is a fair answer. May I suggest in the future you don't wash the bowl at all. You keep it in your room and you keep using it like a cast iron pan. And you get all the, the delicious seasonings. Of the pho from years past, from and I'll Christmas drink out of past. it too. I'll drink water and and milk out of it when I'm not eating out of it. <laughs> I'm sure it's sanit. That's sanitary. I'm sure. Yeah. Great question, Fantastic. Nick. Thank you. Don't. Uh, I appreciate. I appreciate you guys listening. Okay, man. It's over now. Get just get just get the fuck. Thanks out so of much, here. guys. <laughs> Thank you so much, guys. I'm happy you guys were here. Love my fans. I did that because Aiden was talking, but then you guys started talking about content, and I started using peace sign emojis because that's the only way. I oh, speak. cool! Love, love the grief. Thank, thank you. I, I think you, uh, you answered my question of the uh, where working with friends, the tension between each other. Uh, thank you, Nick, for for doing my job for me and bringing out bringing out the real tension here with dirty balls in the dish in the sink. Yeah, Aiden's just a fucking asshole. We all know this. I almost fought him over taking my stuff one time. It's it's a work. It's a work. Can I, uh, can I add to the content question? The tea. Sure. sure. I think you did a really good job of answering that. I think you, you pretty much nailed it with the idea of uh, getting people to care about a storyline in a game they don't play. It's kind of like when I think something that people who make melee content really don't understand is when you post a video that says fiction did what to Leffen? It's like, well, who the fuck's fiction? And who's Leffen? Why do I care about this conflict as a person who plays Guilty Gear or Counter-Strike? Uh, I think people are really bad at generalizing content enough to, to open it up to a broader audience. Like, you kind of have to think when you post something on YouTube, like, how many layers of friction am I adding to this? So it's like, okay, you know, how Falco multi-shine invalidates Yoshi? It's like, if that's your video title, it's like, okay, so you're appealing only your, your max amount of audience, people who are interested in that topic are Melee viewers. If you got every person who watches Melee content on YouTube to watch your video in one day, you'd probably still get less than a Ludwig video on that, on that video if every single person watched it. So you have to kind of think about like, well, how many people am I translating the, the outside of my content, which is the title and thumbnail, uh, to like the average person. And then when they actually get into the video, I think there's a part that like the other side misses. Like there's certain people who are like really good at clickbaiting, but then get really lazy on the actual content itself. People have to actually want to watch the whole video. They want, you have to have like a high watch time for YouTube to like push your content to a broader scope of people. Um, and I think that like a really interesting thing that I had to sort of deal with for a while was like when I created content for Beyond Summit was like, 
okay, we worked tirelessly for days, shooting content overnight, editing it, turning it around a day, getting gamers to act, which is like the hardest part. Uh, and then it yeah. goes out on YouTube and you go look at the viewership and it's like a hundred people watched it. And it's like, what the fuck? Like I try, like, you know, I worked so hard on that thing and like, no one cares. Like, is the problem them? Is it me? And I think after a long time, I realized that, uh, YouTube content is just in a totally different like place now than it was like 10 years ago when like uh, regular comedy sketch style stuff just worked for being funny. Uh, and there's a nuance that you have to learn and how to make video. I mean, short form is kind of taking over, but I still believe deep in my heart that there's there's long form that is based in good writing and comedy that still works. Uh, it's just about finding that. And then when it comes to like analytical style videos that like uh, certain, I don't know, like awesome sauce or like whatever, like YouTubers make, I think it's just about translating it to a broad enough audience and removing la the, enough layers of friction to where your average person that, I mean, the documentary does a really good job of this where the average person can learn to care about the thing and learn to appreciate it first. And then from there they can learn to appreciate all of the more nitty gritty or detailed, uh, content styles that exist but i think that every pretty much everyone does a really bad job of both translating the outside of content to a broad audience and then keeping people watching on the inside for reasons either they feel rushed or uh they're bad at what they do or whatever it is um and i think that because melee because because the ceiling of what you can earn creating content specifically for melee is so low and you can't really like make a huge career out of it. You can only use it really as a stepping stone to get a job somewhere else in esports where you can make a career. I think there's no one um, besides a handful of people who care so much about purely the art of it that they're willing to make it that good and put that much effort to it. The same amount of effort you might put into being good at the game itself. Um, and so melee content specifically is suffering for that. And I think that generally people just need to care more learn to understand the game more, not the game melee, but the game of uploading online content and uh, generalized content enough to where more people understand it without losing uh, the nuance and the, how special and how detailed you're willing to uh, sort of describe things to a, a normie audience, if you will, um, in the actual video so that people watch the entire thing. It's not even just melee, Nick. It truly isn't. It, it is all of gaming. I cannot tell you and, you know, I'm, I was thinking about this exact same thing you're pointing out right now when I was explaining the SWT stuff early on. I don't need to explain that to Slime and Aiden here, right? Obviously, they're in the thick of it. They understand as much context. But I know that there are thousands of people that listen to our show in any given month that don't have that context. They haven't been actively terminally online on Twitter for the past week during all of this meltdown in the Smash community, right? So it's, an, it's useful to tell them what the context is before I ask two experts here, right, about you know their thoughts on the situation right that it's and you know i but when i was asking that question very specifically i was thinking or doing that elaboration i was thinking i'm sure there are people in this twitter space who are going well this dude's a fucking normie bro and i'm not but at the same time like we we as a community do such a bad job at listening to the minority opinion uh on that sort of stuff on that critique where it's the majority of the opinion are thankful that 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 those types of explanations exist. And I think about really this sort of I mean, I'm building a whole company around this, but I think about this more, like more broadly, you know, what changed in 2018 when Fortnite blew up and, and gaming became a part of everyone's vernacular 
of all ages, right? It, it, the young people that play it and the older people that know kind of what it is more broadly. And I'm like, those people need a way in. They're not going to get it by me sitting down and telling you why Faker is the goat. <laughs> they're like, that's, that's not how they're going to get it. Yeah. How they're going to get it is by telling an, an emotional human story of how someone either overcame adversity, how someone dealt with something difficult in their lives, or, you know, we're working on something right now at Overcome that I'm really excited about. That's a true crime doc and telling like this fucking scammy story that a bunch of people don't know about that is really exciting to work on because it's like, yeah, it's about gaming, but at the same time, like you're not going to have to get gaming to understand it. And that, yeah. that's the point. I Make think sure we, your, your thumbnail and title is good too. Cause that's, that's fucking well, it's not even for, it. it's not, it's not even for, see, here's the other, the broad part is like, we're talking about YouTube here, right? Like all you, you three guys like having a very successful YouTube channel. We're building one that's growing. And like, it's not even about YouTube to me. There's so much money on the, like, you know, in the audio world, Spotify and Odyssey and Amazon music side of things. And in the video world, like the OTT distributors, Netflix, Hulu, et cetera, that want content. But when they get in a pitch meeting with someone that like doesn't understand how to talk more broadly about these ideas, they're just stare at you blankly and they don't get it. And so they don't buy your shit. Wait, and, you said wait, it was you said Amazon Music and and what? Amazon Music, Odyssey and Spotify. Odyssey these nuts. Uh, yeah, thank there you go. You're the second second one of your your uh, group of friends that has the uh, D's nuts on this show. Ludwig's is better though, I will say. Um, but uh, yeah, nonetheless, I, my point my point is is that gaming has a storytelling problem more broadly. Uh, we need to stop thinking about what the you know two hundred thousand people on YouTube want and start thinking about what the two million people want around the I, world and how we do yeah. that. Something challenging that I that I think is uh, to me like when I when I think about pieces that really move the needle on like the interest in this sport. They're pretty. They're all pretty expensive, like long form projects, relatively, right? Like we kind of got lucky that the Smash documentary happened. But the biggest example that I can think of is uh, the F one docu series, like yep. literally changing the landscape of that entire sport. And if you watch episodes of that show, it has very little to do with watching actual racing. It's entirely framed around like human relationships and like the struggle between these teams, what their goals are each season focused entirely on the, the racers, the managers, like, and that, and that literally changed that sport. Like it is it's so I, I can't, I remember, I'm trying to remember how much bigger it actually is, but like the, it, it, it changed, it changed how the sport is functional, functionally works, how it is presented to people, how it's monetized. Like they are going through so many changes because of that piece of media and similarly, I think like the most moving or interesting pieces of gaming content that I've ever watched are like something I think about is like uh, the Red Bull documentary about OG winning TI for the first time, which is has honestly very little to do with Dota. I think a weak weakness of True Sight, even though it's really really good, is that you have to be pretty you have to be somewhat engaged with the game itself because it's it's confined to TI weekend itself and what is happening in the games in a lot of instances even though it's like really beautiful and well done um, it feels like more like a love letter to like the Dota community that's paying attention rather than something that's meant to draw people in whereas the OG documentary it has like 6.5 million views and it just tells this story of like how this team of like misfits who weren't supposed to get there won 
the biggest prize in gaming ever. And it doesn't really matter that it's about Dota at all. And I think it's really, really hard for somebody to invest all that money and time into a project like that um, because you're kind of gambling on its effectiveness like when you're finally done with it. Um, and, and we had a second documentary, right? Like we had Metagame. And uh, I, I think it didn't, it didn't quite have the same punch that like the first one did for, for like a variety of reasons. But that's like an example of like all so much time and money was like invested into a project that like, you know, ultimately didn't have the same output that the first one did, which maybe is like too monstrous of a task, right? In a, in a similar way that the F1 like Netflix series, like literally changed the sport. Obviously the smash documentary changed the competitive smash scene in a way that like, I, I don't think will ever be replicated. Uh, but I, I wanted to note that is like I, I think it's like to for somebody who makes content like passively in the scene, it's hard to say like you know what my money and time for the next four years are going to be a- about making this like documentary piece about gaming, and I'm going to make it good enough. Um, and I don't know like you're saying it's like that probably needs to like land in a pitch room somewhere at like a streaming service or something like that. And uh, the overlap in like skills and connections for somebody with like the knowledge and capability of making that piece, but also the like uh, the connections to like get into that room and also present it well is just really difficult. I don't know if like there's anybody who can do it at the moment or is going to do it. But I think that like F1 version of the the F1 version for us for esports as a whole for Smash maybe even. Uh, like it, it exists. It can be done. It's on the cosmic bookshelf. Someone's just got to pull it off. Yeah, yeah, I, I will, I will say on that note. You know, it's you can't like, it has to be thought out. The storytelling around that, something like that, has to be thought out, right? And and it, you have to, you do have to listen to the quote unquote normies. You have to listen to the people who aren't engaged because their perspective's important. Because if they don't understand it, then probably other audiences won't either. And I think like we're very resistant to that as a community because we're you know, gatekeeping. I mean, Jacob, gatekeeping is so fucking fun. Yeah, I wonder. I wonder what that means, slime. Yeah, I love. Um, I love gatekeep. I'm not kidding. It is so fun to feel like you are in on something that other people aren't. It's like crack, okay? And I need to. I personally need to be someone who's like, you know what? Let's bring more people in. Let's open the gate. It has to be thought about in the ideation. It's, it's truly like, and I'm glad there are a lot of people listening to this because truly, truly has to be thought about in the ideation. You can't just say, you can't, and I use this example because it's so funny to me. So Navi, the one of the best Counter-Strike teams in the world, basically came out and they like did a documentary on Simple, who is the best player to ever play Counter-Strike ever. Fantastic player, extremely talented. I don't want, what I'm about to say is not to take away from his skill um, or to detract from him in that way. But they put out part one of this documentary on YouTube and they're like, we're going to sell part two to Netflix. And it was so clear that no one had like thought of that before they made it. Or in two that it, like said this publicly and or two had ever been in a pitch room with Netflix. But that was literally an on the record public statement from someone in this team. And I'm just sitting here laughing dream. my yeah, I'm laughing my ass off. It's like because like I watch part one and it's cool. It, it like catalogs his life. But like so much of the other content does, it goes into like why, you know, how in the game is he more skilled than everyone else he plays against? And I was like, that is the least important part. Yeah, it's not, well, a, not like, about so, that part. It is the least important part. The more important part is about all the backstory that he has, the issues the, he's had with anger management, the, everything else. 
biggest thing I told people to contextualize worlds to people this year, like why worlds finals was so cool. What was so exciting about it? What the thing that consistently like worked and drew people in that like don't really follow league or maybe don't even follow gaming. It's like all of these people play league of legends, like hundred, hundred million plus people. It's played by the entire world. And it comes down to these two guys who went to high school together like 10 years ago and the world and it's like the end moment of that to define one person's career or the other person to solidify themselves as the greatest person to play the most popular game ever and like that's why this matters yes it's like they it's this beautiful story is like if me and slime went to high school and then we were in genesis finals like 15 years from now or we're playing in the nba finals 15 years from now like that's how i would contextualize it to people and i wish that moment could be i think riot leaned into it and i think it was really good but it, just because it happens in such a short period of time it's difficult to like capitalize on that moment at, at the time but maybe like you know, maybe a year from now, maybe two years from now, there'll be a documentary about this season and like what that meant. Yeah. Um, and I think focusing on like a real human story that is like so against the odds, like it unfolded right before us. It got me to boot up League for the first time in like two years. Like all of these, it, it got my girlfriend who like didn't know what Twitch was six months ago to like be interested in it. And I think those things, like handy, like grabbing those moments is like what is so important. 100%. Absolutely. I think that's a good note to end on because that that is, uh, it, again, I, I can't remember which other guest did this, but uh, you all have made my business pitch for me is what I'm doing in my career right now. So thank you very much for, for, uh, yeah, for doing that for Yeah, clip it and me. ship it. <laughs> clip it and ship Let it. Let Aiden be your guide. Uh, Aiden, you're my new, Aiden and Nick, you're my new spokespeople. Thank you. I pre- appreciate <laughs> six, it. Contract, six, will, contract will be in the mail tonight. Me? I'll be you talk about Sibians too. too much. You talk about Sibians too much. The guy There's at HBO, the guy at HBO just want to listen to you talk about Sibians in the boardroom. HBO, where they show nudity all the time. They don't know about yeah, but Sibians. They, but they have class in the meetings i've heard oh sibians aren't classy no no <laughs> now now we're beefing yeah <laughs> all right well thank you all so much for tuning in we've held these guys for a long time so i do want to let them go especially since they have the yard letter today um but thank you if this is your first time tuning in to visionaries we are live every monday and wednesday we have an extensive back catalog for this podcast uh on apple Podcasts, spotify YouTube, you can just search. Say the other Visionaries one. Say gaming. the other one. Uh, it is actually we're actually not on on Odyssey. Thank you, uh, Slime. There you Good go. Good move. Uh, yeah, we're we're not there because yeah, they they only put what what is paid on there. But oh, yes, okay. anyway, uh, there there you go. But we're on all the others. You can find us uh, on the audio platform. Search Visionaries Gaming on YouTube. Search Visionaries Podcast. I think it comes up pretty quickly. Past guests include these guys' friends, uh, Ludwig Ogren, Atrioc, and Stans have been on this show, and Cutie Cinderella. Uh, we've had a lot of the Ludwig Cinematic Universe on the show, um, but also some really, really talented folks otherwise. Uh, so thank you all so much for listening. We will be back this Wednesday, and thank you, Slime and Aiden, for joining us. Thanks, Jacob. You're great, man. Thanks, Thanks. Jacob. <laughs> Thanks for having us on. Appreciate it. Thank you again to Slime and Aiden for the interview. If you enjoyed this episode of Visionaries, you can find more like it on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. And please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. It's immensely helpful to helping others find the show. Special thanks to Sammy Daig, Prem Thadamkara, and Eric Jackowitz for their help with this episode. 
We'll be back on Friday with an interview with Ben Brode, the former game director for Blizzard card game Hearthstone and now the co-creator of Marvel Snap. For Visionaries and everyone here at Overcome, thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.